Okay, let's get started here. We are finishing up the book of Esther, okay, and we've talked about several different things. Um, throughout the book of Esther, we've seen a whole bunch of things, and there's the last chapter, two chapters really, but one's a very short one. We're going to do Esther 9 and 10, just a couple of highlights out of each of those. But I want to first talk about time to finish business, all right? Sometimes there's a time to finish business of God. God has things he wants you to do. So way back when, in the fall of 2009, I wrote in my, my other Bible, in the margin of my Bible, in the middle of the night, when I was up, God wants me to write a book. That's what I wrote. Fall of 2009. That was 11 years ago. In case a few guys have trouble with math. <laughs> Not a lot of school lately, so I know that <laughs> might be an issue. Right? So 11 years ago, God said, you're going to write a book. And he gave me the title of the book. Okay, Which I did not know at the time. And I thought that it was going to be about creation and science and parts and pieces and I thought it's going to be perfect and I started to write and it didn't work and kind of gave up on that for a while and went through a bunch more of life and had kids and all sorts of things happened to me in the last 11 years okay and then I'll try it again another kind of book. And that didn't work. I tried about probably five different times and said, well, God really wants me to do this. He, he keeps telling me. And it was the kind of thing I thought about at least once a week for the past 11 years. It would run through my brain like, I have to do that. If God said do it, I better do it. So I was attempting to be obedient to him, but God had another plan and God had to teach me a lot of things before I could get to that point. All right? And so, after my several attempts, all of a sudden, along came COVID-19, right, in March. And the very first thing that I did when they sent me home from work on the first day, although I went back, I had more time at home. And the first thing I did is that I got to change my roof because my roof is leaking terribly. So I did a roof and I started writing this book. All right. And many of you who were at the youth retreat this year or the virtual youth retreat read that book or had it read to you anyways, as I just finished it a few days before the youth retreat came along. So I wrote it, it was called The Discovery, which was not at all what I was planning to write about. Now, God gave me that title 11 years ago, and I had it written in my Bible for since 2009, saying, you have to do this. And I went through those several different iterations of it, and nothing was what was supposed to be, until I finally got to that point, and God allowed me to finish become obedient, and finish it, and God used it to that point. Now, I don't know what else he's got planned for it. He's done what he's done at this point, and maybe nothing ever again. Either way, <clears throat> it was something that I did because God said, you do this. Get this done. It's one thing that God put in my personal life, 
And God had been working all along, teaching me what was supposed to go in there. Teaching me things about life and what was supposed to go in to the topic of that book and to the details of that book. All right? So here's the big question. All along the 11 years as I waited, I kept all those tries that I made at it. My question was, is God really in this? You know, I, I guess he told me to do it. And then you start to say, well, maybe I'm just imagining something. But as, as I began, is God really in this? As I began to write, finally, this last time, things started to all fall together. So I knew that what he had told me 11 years before, even though there was a lot that happened in those 11 years, I knew that it actually was supposed to be. And God made that plan, and God was working all along, and God had to give me children and experiences with children because there are children in the book. Okay? And some of those characteristics of my children are in that book. But I had to experience that before I could write it. I had to understand what it's like to be in family dynamics, right? Not just imagine what it's like, but to live in there. And you may see characteristics that come out of my kids in there and other relationships that I have in life, okay? So that's the question, is God really in it? Now when we go to the book of Esther, here's the interesting thing. The book of Esther is one of the only books in the entire Bible that never mentions God. It's not in there. You won't find any names of God. You won't find any references to God. So is God really in it? Well, yes, we've seen through all these strange circumstances that there is a great force behind what's happening. All right? And to understand that and to see God's fingers moving through, doing things, pushing things, creating things, manipulating things, and saying, here's my will and I'm going to get it done. In, excuse me, in a whole other country. Normally, many of the books are written about Israel in Israel. But at this point, it's really written about what another country does. Now, the Jews come up in it, and of course, Esther or Hadassah becomes the star, as her name means, all right, becomes the star of the show, right, when she becomes the queen. But God is never mentioned in it. She never mentions God. Mordecai never mentions God. And yet, his plan has been throughout the entire thing. And we've looked to see what God has done time and time and time again. All right? So it's important to note that even if you don't feel like God is all over in your life, in school, the things that are happening to you, you say, well, this is all just dumb. I can't believe we do this. You need to step back and look at something bigger. Something much bigger. 
Right? We'll talk about it in a little bit. All right. So last time we left Esther had asked a second time. Remember, Haman came along. Haman's the bad guy, right? He's the bad guy. And he was allowed, do you remember what, where he came from? Agag. Agag. Yes, he is an, he is an Agagite, okay? Or from King Agag. And King Agag was supposed to be killed by the Jewish king Saul. But he didn't quite get the job done. And because of that... Agag and all of his descendants, all the way down to Haman, became a thorn in the side of the Jewish people and had a very deep hatred for the Jewish people. So Agag passes it down. Haman now is trying to make this come to fruition and kill every Jew. That's his plan. He wants to kill every Jew. Not good enough to just have Mordecai bow down to him, but I want to wipe out his race. Don't think that that is not something much bigger. If you were to look at the uh, book of Revelation, and we've studied that semi-recently, you remember there was a scene of a dragon and a woman. And the woman was clothed with the sun and rainbows and had stars around her head, 12 stars around her head, and there was something that she was at the moment. Remember this woman? Buddy? She was pregnant, about ready to give birth to a baby. All right? We talked about that woman being Israel. All right? And and who's the baby? Jesus. Jesus. Say it louder. Jesus. Jesus. Okay. Jesus. I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you. You must have been all saying it very quietly. Uh, so Jesus is that baby. Now, as the nation gives birth to Jesus, okay, as Israel gives birth to Jesus, it's a picture of what happens. And the dragon was whom? Satan. Satan. And what's the dragon want to do to the baby? Kill it. Eat it. Devour it. Kill it. Yes. Destroy it. He is waiting for that woman to give birth so that he can destroy the baby. Okay? Destroy Jesus. This has this this shows what Satan's intent is always for the Jewish people. I don't care how old you go into antiquity and how new you come all the way up into today's standards, it is Satan's intent to destroy God's people. God says, I chose you. And what has happened to the Jews throughout history? I don't care what country they've lived in, they have suffered persecution. I don't care what time frame they've been in, they have suffered persecution because there's something bigger happening. Same thing with Esther. In the middle of the Persian Empire, who cares about the Jewish people, right? There's millions of others. And yet, Satan's thread goes through there and says, I want to kill them. Just them. Wipe out the Jews. You see it all the way up through to the Holocaust, right? In more modern history. Go back in the 1800s, you see the pogroms in Russia. All the way back to the diaspora. I mean, there are time and time and time and time again the Jewish people just get persecuted. Wiped 
almost wiped out again and again. All right. So Satan's plan has never changed. He continues to this day. All right. How many nations are allies with Israel today? Do you know? You got it. Oh. <laughs> That's it. That's the last one. I think Great Britain was uh, for a while, but pretty much almost every nation has abandoned her. Except America. And that's a little teetery and tottery depending on who we have, right? As our president. God has said, I will bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. Okay, that's God's words, not mine. The Bible says that. This has always been Satan's plan, so as much as he can destroy, he will. Now, how does he destroy? Well, he's got a hundred thousands of different ways, right? He works to get them one way or another, and he puts together very complicated plots. So Haman is going to kill him. He puts out a rule that says, all right, if any of you don't like Jewish people, you can go after them on this day. We're going to create a holiday for you. Hooray! You can go and kill all of your enemies and take all they own. Okay? And so, that's where Esther went and said, what can you do, king, for the Well, I can't turn the law around, because if I turn the law around, I'd admit I'd be wrong, and I can't do that because I am a king of Persia, and we're never wrong. Okay? But, I give you my ring, and I give Mordecai my ring, your cousin, Mordecai, I give him my ring, and you may make a new law, and however you choose. And so what they do is say, you are going to be able to go and defend yourself. All right? You're going to go and defend yourself. So here's an interesting thing. Satan's plans are very interesting indeed. Um, when you see what God has done, his plan with the Jewish people is always to go after them, right? What is his plan for anybody that believes in God? First Peter 5, 8, I think, says Satan is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He's, he's looking to destroy. How does he do it? First thing he likes to do is divide. Everybody knows that the strongest that you can be is as a group. Okay? Strongest you can be, you can accomplish the most as a group through anything. I don't care if that's winning an actual war, a battle, or anything. If you go out there on your own, you can't defeat an army. But if you bring an army that communicates well together, that works together, that is close to one another and has closeness and intimacy and cares about one another, and you are going to get through. Okay, That's why soldiers carry other soldiers out on their back and get a purple heart for it, because they care about the guy next to them. They have learned to come together as a crew, as a group. That's what makes them do extraordinary things in time of war. 
So what do you think Satan is trying to do in general to the strength of Christianity, of God's followers? Divide. Oh, look at that. Divide. And how do you divide families, nations? Anybody? Anybody have experience in how you divide two friends? Let's start with that. That should be easy. Argue? Have you ever argued about something? Not been very friendly with another person? How about, okay, how about something a little more? How about, let's make it so we don't care about another person. Our arguments often come from a lack of communication. Even though we might say a lot of things, we're not communicating. So if we can cut our communication, cut our caring, increase our arguments, we don't care about the person next to us. And how do we make it so we don't care about the person next to us? Hmm. Think about this. Let's say that person, anonymous, okay? Let's say that neighbor down the road is not uh, Fred and Ethel that you know very well, but it's just a neighbor. Never met them. Don't care if anything happens to them. By separating people, dividing relationships, creating anonymity, removing the care about your fellow person, you can divide people. What do you think has happened in our country? Hmm? How do we create less care for people? Close in on ourselves, and I'm going to watch out for me. How do we create anonymity? Cover our face. I'm not saying that there isn't medical reasons to do things, but don't think that Satan isn't way smarter than anybody. If you can take a country, a state, a city, a town full of friends and neighbors, those who care about one another, and take them and turn them against everyone around, do every man for himself, Take away the, oh, that's Fred, that's Bob, that's Joanne, that's whoever. It's like, I don't want to know anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. Who stops and talks in Walmart anymore? Nobody. You are on the cusp of something that is changing how we live. All right? Just understand, and I am not 
going as an advocate for one thing or another. I'm just telling you, your life is different. You describe to me your lunch periods. Everybody just sits. You told me it was like a prison. Because you're not talking to anybody, are you? Because you can't even allow to. You're not allowed to do it. You might give somebody something. Think about the impact that that has in who you are and what you do. Think about that. Don't let them take away what's important to you. All right? In third grade, my kids are being asked about emptiness and loneliness. They got the, they've got the school counselor coming in talking about emptiness. Third grade, because they know that there's an impact of what's happening. Understand, and I told them, tell them, you know how you fill that? With Jesus. There you go. <laughs> you can tell them that in their class, right? That's how you feel emptiness. Not with other words. Understand your impact of what's happening, all right? Now, we go to Esther quickly. We just want to see what basically happens. Chapter 9, verse number 16. What happened to it? Verse number 16, chapter number 9. This is what happened to the Jews. But the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together and stood for their lives and had rest from their enemies and slew of their foes 70 and 5,000, but they laid not their hands on Okay, so all that means this. Mordecai and Esther write a new rule, new law that say, okay, Jewish people get together in your towns, in your villages, wherever you are, build a little mini army of Jewish people and protect yourselves. And you have the right to protect yourselves. That's all they're doing. Get together, because there's power in connecting as a group, standing for something. Okay, And they get together, and they stand for what it is, and there are 75,000 people that have thought, I'm going to kill that guy. That Jewish guy, I'm going to go kill him. 75,000 people across that nation went after their Jewish people, and the Jewish people wiped them all out. They took them out. When they came after them, they killed them. But... In the law, they were also allowed to take everything that they owned. If they killed the guy, take all of his belongings. The Jewish people never touched him. I don't want your stuff. I'm not killing you because I want to take your stuff. I'm killing you because you came after me. You wanted to kill me. Now also, they find the ten sons of Haman. He's got ten sons, this guy. What do you think would happen if they let them be? what's happened for generations from Agag all the way down to Haman and so they take out the ten sons of Haman the king hangs them on the gallows okay it's a gruesome thing that happens but God has worked through this entire situation to protect his people they stood together they defended themselves 
and they did something amazing and God saved the nation of the Jewish people. And what came out of that, because they did it for two days in a row, and then they had a day of feasting. And then it says when they were done feasting, they gave gifts to each other and they gave things to the poor people because they were so happy they had been saved. They made something. They said, when Haman tried to do this to us, he cast lots, something called purr, okay, in, in that language. He's, he, 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 like, he was throwing dice, gambling with our lives. So we're going to always remember that. And to this day, the Jewish people have a two-day feast every single year called the Feast of Purim. Remembering that they were saved from Haman. Remembering that the people have that today because... Okay, the people have that today because they were able to defend themselves. Right? So... Just recall, remember this. They did it because they needed to be protected. Right? So after that, they get no monetary gain from it. They have this feast and they create this two-day feast forever. And they celebrate. We're talking about this already and I don't know how it's going to be or what's going to happen. Think about this. COVID changed our church. Right? We meet outside all summer. And you can say, well, that's terrible and I can't believe we had to do that. Or you can say, well, God is working. God is doing something. And He is. We have seen growth. We have seen people coming to the Lord. We have seen things. And we say, God's in this. God is doing things with this may not be the way we've always chosen to do it. But like I said, you are on the cusp of change. And how are you going to find God in what you are doing? We're talking about maybe next year, if things change, having some sort of a celebration and have church outside as a remembrance. If things go back to somewhat normal. All right? where we are back inside, then we want to remember what God did, just like the Jews did with the Feast of Purim. The big lesson to learn out of Esther is though the word God isn't anywhere in there, that he is all through what's happening. There is something bigger. Pay attention in your lives. There's something bigger that's happening. Pay attention and don't just act like a bunch of cattle. Okay? You might feel like it, but understand that God is still at work, still in control. You can do something through what God gives you the opportunity, even within the restrictions and the things that you're living through now. All right? Don't let it just take you and make you another another piece of cattle. Okay? Don't just let it change you. You become something different and better and know through it you've got to stand up and lead and do something else. Okay? Be ready for the time when it comes. 
I don't know what God has for you. Look for life in God. Is God really in this? Is this really as as your the things you like to do in this life get shut down? Is God really in this? And the answer is yes. You have to look for him to find him. Alright? Look for him. Have an influence where you are in whatever you're doing. You're the leaders of tomorrow. And tomorrow is like almost today, right? Because you're right on the edge. You're right there. You decide the direction that we go in. Pay careful attention and know that it is not all that it seems to be. In many ways, there is a much bigger plan working behind. And there are competing plans, right? Not everybody has the greatest intention for you, but you know God does. So go and look for what He has for you. Look for it, do it, and finish it. Alright? Keep after it. You don't know what God is teaching you during this time, but there is a time when He will say, that's it. It's ready. This is when you are to act, when you are to do something. Pay attention to what that is. Alright? Because the time will come. It's like I waited for 11 years for something to happen. And all of a sudden, there's the time. Be ready when it comes so that you can do what God has created you to do. Those are the lessons from Esther. I'm sure there are many more, but we hit good highlights and we're going from there. Thank you very much. Have a good day.